Hi, I'm Jessie Draper. I am first and foremost a mom, a boy mom to be exact, a boy mom who invests in female-founded companies. Yep, the joke's on me. I'm the founder of Halogen Ventures, a former entrepreneur and creator of an Emmy-nominated television series on technology. My mission is to support women and help raise awareness about the biggest issues facing society, women, and families today, starting with solving childcare. From celebrity guests to founders and politicians, everyone came from a family somewhere. And I want to hear from you, the families of America, on how we can make change because I can't do this alone. Let's get started. We have monumental work to do. Mommy, mommy, mommy. Keisha Blair is the award-winning international best-selling author of Holistic Wealth, 36 life lessons to help you recover from disruption, find your life purpose, and achieve financial freedom. Blair is a Harvard-trained policy expert and economist and was part of the Canadian Prime Minister's supporting delegation to the World Economic Forum in Davos. Her viral article, My Husband Died at Age 34, Here Are 40 Life Lessons I Learned From It, was viewed by more than 50 million people globally. Keisha Blair is also the host of the Holistic Wealth Podcast. Well, I'm so excited to be with you today, Keisha. We have Keisha Blair here, and you had me on your incredible podcast fairly recently, like probably a couple months ago. I feel like through COVID, I don't even have any sense of time. But to start off today, I would love, we have so much to talk about, but I would love to just start with what is your mom win of the week? You know, I think that can be anything that you did for yourself or for your kids or something that made you really happy. Today, I would say I worked out yesterday and that. I try to make it happen, but often those, you know, I end up putting something, you know, for work over my workouts and I'm trying really hard to be religious about that. And just, it's something I do for me and I'm trying to make it a non-negotiable item on my calendar, which is really hard because I, I am, I always try to give and just, I want to do as much as I can. And I always forget to take care of myself, but it really makes me feel better. So I worked out yesterday and that was my mom win. Awesome. I'm, I'm the same. Like I, and I preach this over and over with my book and the message and, you know, in terms of self-care for moms. And so when I get through and, you know, I feel like I have that win, it feels so good. And so mine was exercise related to like, I got out in nature and I did walks twice per day. So twice. So normally I do once. So I got out twice this week. So I'm so grateful for that and just so proud that I made it out I made it twice for the day each day for the week so that was my mom win I love that and I'm so excited to dig into your books and everything because you you really do talk a lot about just getting out in nature and taking care of yourself like both spiritually and physically and I just love that it's so important okay so we're gonna do quickly I'd like to just talk about the childcare news of the day I think this is always really important to address you know I read this article in courts by Jessica Hurrah and I'm just going to read a little quote from it. It's about childcare benefits, which is a huge topic right now. 50 million U.S. workers, one-third of the country's workforce, are parents with a child under 14 at home. Whether accessing or affording childcare, these benefits make a difference. 60% of parents would stay at their job if it offered a childcare benefit, reducing the long list of reasons today's employees are quitting. I mean, we're hearing so much about why people are quitting and this you know, quiet quitting and 
all the way to, which may or may not have to do with childcare, but also just like COVID shine this huge light on childcare being broken. We all knew it was broken already. And what do you think about that? What do you think about benefits and what could these companies do better? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if, you know, my say, if, if, if I were to give like an informed opinion about this, I'd say childcare is 80% of the issue when it comes on to working moms. I, you know, I've seen it firsthand in my own life when, you know, when my husband died and I had just given birth eight weeks prior and I had a three-year-old. And at that point, I, it was so sudden, I, I, you know, it took me off guard. And so, you know, I had to rely on my mom for childcare. And so when you think about that stat, Jesse, that you just gave about, I think it was 80% you mentioned that have kids under a certain age, it actually gives me 60, goosebumps. 60%. Yeah. percent. It actually gives me goosebumps thinking about that huge number of families and children involved that are completely, you know, stressed in terms of that environment of, of that lack of child. So there's not, there's an issue with access. There's an issue with a lack of childcare educators. There is an issue with quality childcare. And, you know, I'm in Canada, we have that issue too. And it's always been a huge issue. And with COVID-19, it's gotten far worse. And it's, it's unbelievable how many parents are stuck and why, you know, most of the times it's the women, right? It's us that take the hit and that decide, we decide, you know, I have to walk away. This is for the benefit of my child, but certainly far more needs to be done. It's something I talked about in my book, Holistic Wealth, because it was an issue for me when my husband died. It was an issue for me in my career. Early on, I had to take that break. I had to step back. So I know personally what the impacts are. I mean, the impacts can be generational losses. And especially when we look at it from a cultural lens. Already, Black women face a steep pay gap. Uh, Latina women, Indigenous women. It's unbelievable how that gets compounded, right, in terms of our wealth and our holistic well-being. So, so absolutely, far more needs to be done. We've seen flexible work arrangements. We need lots more of that. We need lots more access, more funding, far more funding that's provided now. And yeah, that it's, it's, it's a huge problem. Now you're in Canada. You are our first Canadian mom. What does childcare look like there? What can you give me just a, a landscape? What city are you in? I'm in the capital of Canada, so I'm in Ottawa, and and so that's in Ontario for people who aren't aware. And so just recently, during COVID, the federal government passed, you know, like they introduced a childcare package that is supposed to be very, very beneficial for moms here. The issue is just that different provinces have their own regimes and they have to sign on. So it means that the federal government has to negotiate one by one with each province to come on to their system. And then after they, let's say, agree to, you know, work together, then it means implementing. So we're, we're not yet out of the woods where that's concerned. And in my province of Ontario, I think we were one of the last. So there again, and for us, childcare here is extremely expensive. I, I remember when my kids were younger. It was how old are your kids now? So my eldest is 17, then 9 and 10. 
And so I, you know, we paid for childcare and it was competing with, with our mortgage. So just a bit less. And so it would be our second largest household expense. So, you know, for, for moms in, you know, in, in my shoes, we've already spent, you know, a good chunk on childcare over the course of our, our children's, um, you know, younger years. So absolutely, it's been an issue. Absolutely, it's still an issue. And in Canada, we've had a lot of issue with access to good quality educational facilities, because a, a majority of it was home care, which as you can imagine, is regulated, but not you know, not, not to the level that we'd want. And so there's an issue with access. There's an issue, well, there was an issue with affordability and there was an issue with, of course, attrition where a lot of these educators just left. So we're still facing those barriers as well. And for moms here, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty hard to juggle, you know, that, that the whole work life balance. I mean, that's hard for for moms everywhere. And, you know, I just want to dig in a little here on home care. What are you defining home care as in Canada? Right. So for us, it means care provided in a caregiver's home. Okay. Great. Largely how it was regulated was a caregiver was not allowed to have more than five kids per one adult. Yes. And from my experience, what happened was you know, of course, as you know, it's set out in policy, but there was not enough inspection, not enough, you know, uh, workers going around ensuring that there is that compliance with what a home care environment looked like. So even as a young mom, like I, I remember having issues, Jesse, with just the quality of care and the attention I thought my child was getting. And I would worry when I was at work about that. And 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 that's where the mom guilt comes in. That's where the shame comes in. That's where the am I a good mom comes in because I was on waiting lists. Like, so I was on waiting lists for like a year or two. So like as soon as we got as soon as we got pregnant, I had to join those waiting lists. And to be honest with you, there was an access issue. So I had to settle for childcare within the home and that's all I could get access to. But I was never ever of the feeling and even now I look back and I was never of the feeling that that was giving my child the best start or the best I could have. I felt like there were so many issues with it. You know, childcare providers stepped up and they helped and they tried, but there's so much you can do at No More Work when there's not enough funding, there's not enough training, there's not enough help to go around. And so it, it was unbelievable, the situation. And, and that's for, for the majority of people in Canada right now, that's what they're stuck with. That's so interesting. Thank you so much for walking us through that. You know, we have this company, We Care, who I had on the podcast actually as one of our first episodes, and they have these 55,000 in-home childcare locations across the country. So sounds like we need to get to Canada next where they vet them and make sure that they're really up to par and kind of oversee all of these in-home because I I see how that could be a major problem. And uh, first of all, you are a good mom. You're clearly a good mom simply because you're worrying about these things. So you're doing great. I'm very impressed with you. And so I wanted to dig in a little bit. You know, you mentioned your husband. I'm so sorry about your husband. He passed away. I would love to hear this story. And I, I know our listeners would love to hear this story. What you went through is just you wish this upon no one. And so your husband died when you were 31. Yes. And you just had your second child, two month old. 
And how did you do that? Yeah, that was that was just when I look back, I, I asked myself the same question, Jesse. So I was 31. We we didn't see this coming. And just eight weeks after my second child was born, you know, he, he came home one day from work, he just complained of a, a pain in his abdomen. And we rushed him to the ER. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, well, your husband is deathly ill. We don't know what's going on. And within three hours, he was gone. He was dead. And as you can imagine for me, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's unbelievable. And for me, just, you know, healing from childbirth, because I had a pretty traumatic childbirth to just eight weeks prior that I was healing from. And, you know, this happening, the fallout was huge. My mom, who was just visiting us at the time, had to literally, you know, put in her retirement. And, and she became then my childcare provider. She became like everything to us. And, and, and so it, it, was, it, was, it was one of those things, Jesse, that you never see coming. He died of a very rare illness. Only one in one million people in the world get it. It's something most doctors never see in their lifetime, they have to read about it in textbooks. So it took one year for the autopsy and it, they had to gather an international group of doctors, Canada and the US. They shipped, you know, different samples to the United States and it took one year for them to figure out the cause. And that's what led me on this journey toward holistic wealth. Because when I thought about women out there who were struggling with so much at home, who lacked childcare, who lacked the support at home, were trying to build careers, trying to be the best moms they could be. Like when you think about the barriers that we face, it's unbelievable. And you know what, when I came up with this holistic wealth framework, I said, I'm doing it for these moms out there, for women out there who feel like we've been led to feel like, okay, if you're not climbing the corporate ladder and getting to a certain place at a certain time, a certain net worth or salary or title, that you're not successful. And and so the notion is with this work is, well, define success on your own terms and really assess what wealth means to you. It doesn't have to be just those financial aspects. It's how are you doing mentally? How are you doing emotionally? How are you doing physically and spiritually? And so that's what led me on this journey. It was just everything to do with really putting forward something that could really help women. And so you wrote this article, you know, my husband died at age 34. Here are 40 life lessons I learned from it. And it's been viewed by more than 50 million people globally, which clearly you hit a a really important nerve there. And, you know, you share these great things about, you know, I I just I'm so curious about your headspace during that time, because you really you went through this in the most positive mindset, it seems, through this article where you wrote all of these tips for anyone going through this and just letting people know you wrote things like find a hobby go on a road trip like get out of your normal space and and then you talked about this idea of practice spiritual self-renewal and I found that fascinating will you tell us what is that and how did you go through that Yeah, absolutely. So you're right. So after it happened, I started to realize, Jesse, that it was all about mindset. And that if I started to think of this tragedy as not necessarily as a gift, but 
you know, to draw lessons from it, then maybe I could start to, to overcome it. And then that spiritual self-renewal part came when I kept thinking, you know what, like if I don't renew myself each and every single day spiritually, then I will never have that growth that I'm looking forward to in my life. So I'll give you an example. So after he died, I went on this sabbatical. I took one year and I went to do some soul searching and it was on sabbatical that I came up with that whole spiritual self-renewal concept in the book because I got up, you know, spent time with myself in meditation and in prayer and just thinking about, okay, what do I want my life to look for? you know, to look like. And that's how that spiritual self-renewal part of that, that portion of that article and then the book, because it's a, now an entire chapter in the book, that's how that started because I, re- I realized that I, I really had to renew myself each and every day. And it's something that I would encourage everyone to do because then we're carrying the weight of the world with us. It seems like every day there's so much bad bad news there's so much going on in our lives we're so busy with our kids as moms and as you know parents that it's easy to get bogged down but when we kind of you know shed that and you know um renew ourselves daily then it's 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 easier to cope and it's easier to be in a better mindset and a better mind frame and you said this thing about letting your old self die I thought that was really interesting. And that, so that's how you, how, like, how did you do that? You let your old self, how did you move on from your old self by doing all of these things? Yeah, I honestly, that was so poignant to me because I remember thinking at the point he died, for instance, let's say I was in this executive program. I was on an executive track in the organization. So I was one of maybe just 20 people out of an organization of 40,000 that chosen to lead the organization forward. And I was young. It's something I wanted. I wanted more than anything else to be on that track. I, you know, poured everything into my career. And, And for me at that point, it was about my career and it was about, you know, what I was going to do. And then when he died, I thought, wow all of that i felt like i that was the part of me i felt like i had let that old self die because it just no longer became my mission i realized that my purpose and my mission now was to empower others through this story and through this message so of course like i still have things i want to do and i want to achieve but not necessarily within the confines of any one company or or organization or corporate. It can be through so many different ways. And that's what came to me when I said I let that old self die because that was kind of like, you know, ambition towards one thing. And now it was like, you know, toward humanity. And so it was focused on making humanity better in, in that way. And so that's what I meant by, you know, making that old self die. I mean, I just think so many listeners or anyone who's gone through, you know, the death of a spouse is going to take so much from this because it could really, I mean, I just don't see, people don't typically stay in that headspace during that time. And I just think it's really impressive. And so many of us can learn so many lessons from that. So thank you. And I love this journey you're on. So you wrote this incredible book and it is 
called Holistic Wealth, and it's an international bestseller. And so you wrote this great book to continue and help people go on this journey with you. Yeah, absolutely. And so in March, just in March, we released the expanded and updated version of Holistic Wealth. I have a copy of this Congratulations. Thank you. And so it's, it's, it was just released. And, you know, we, we included more chapters because women came forward during COVID-19 and they said, oh, I want to know more about my personal financial identity, or I want to know more about money mindset. So we've expanded it to, to basically address the needs of our readers and, and, you know, our audience so that they can take away more. And so it's, it's, it's really fascinating how this movement has grown into a global movement. You know, it's, it's morphed into an institute that I founded, the Institute on Holistic Wealth, as well as the podcast that you were on. And it's just really taken a life of its own as women have basically come forward and said to me, this is, this is what we need. This is what we need. And, and can you respond to that? For instance, when they read the book, the first edition, they came forward and they're like, well, we want to be certified holistic wealth consultants. We want to be able to go out in our communities and to other women and, you know, help them with not only their finances, but their mental health and, you know, life planning. And so we crafted that. And so the whole journey has been based on, you know, women coming forward and really guiding that path of that holistic wealth movement. So I'm grateful for that and grateful for our readers who've really, you know, channeled us into you know, our next steps and where we need to go. Well, everyone obviously needs to read this book. And you know, I'm a venture capitalist. So, you know, anything around investing and teaching women specifically about how to manage their money is just like my passion. So I love what you're doing. I hope everyone buys her book. And I think, you know, I'd be curious, and I'm sure everyone out there would be curious too, what what are kind of like three tips you have for women who are trying to take more control of their financial future, especially when it relates to families? You know, we did this huge study with hundreds of families across the country and about what they were missing in terms of childcare and their future of their family. And one of the things that came out of this was a lot of them wanted more products to help manage their finances as a family because people weren't taking that into account at typical, like, you know, any, any kind of like wealth management company or product. And so I thought that was really interesting. So what are three tips that you have for, you know, managing your family finances and helping women take control? Absolutely. And so that's much of that work is wrapped up in what we do at the Institute on Holistic Wealth and at Wealth. And so the first thing, Jesse, that I would suggest is know your personal financial identity. And even as a family, as a couple, because there's a study put out by a Mary Prize saying 76% of couples have different money mindsets. So, and in my experience, over 3,000 people have taken my personal financial identities quiz now. And this was just during COVID that I took it. I I took it before our podcast. It was great. Exactly. Exactly. And, And so now I'm encouraging couples to take it together because if 76% of couples have different money mindsets, can you imagine without that guidance, without that awareness, right? And the tools to communicate what can happen in families. So that's the first step. And, you know, holistic wealth is being intentional by design. And to be intentional about our finances, 
we have to become very self-aware because then once we become self-aware, we can, you know, advocate for ourselves. So there's self-advocacy. And then, you know, we can preserve what we have. So there's self-preservation. So that's the first step. And the quiz is available on the Institute on Holistic Wealth website. It's free. It takes two minutes. And there you go. You can start your money date nights now, right? <laughs> and now you have something to work with. Now you know what you are. Like, for instance, I'm a risk taker. My husband is a minimalist. So we have to really work together to make our, you know, our money decisions work. And so everybody feels comfortable because I'm, I'm always getting excited, excited about the next investment. And he's always just getting scared when I, you know, approach him about anything. So now we know that. So that's a huge step for us because now we know when we have our monthly money date nights and I would, you know, encourage everybody to do the same monthly Set- money date nights. I love well, it. Date nights. Yeah. And you know what? Have your favorite drinks and your favorite snacks and, and get comfortable and talk about, you know, what it was like money being discussed in your family as a child and talk about your money goals and how you're going to craft this money mission statement, which is my next tip. Because like in the book, I talk about having a mission statement and families can absolutely have one. Think about your values when you're crafting it. Think about your money goals. And of course, a subset of that mission statement for your family can involve a money mission statement. And your money mission statement can involve, as I said, the goals and incorporate your personal financial identity in that too, because we want to be authentic to ourselves and we want to feel like we have a home within a home for us and how we feel. So those are some of the things that I would say are are, are such practical micro steps. Like for anyone listening in, like we can literally start doing that today. It's Friday. It's a good day. It is Friday. It's a good day. I love Fridays. This is so helpful. I this is so helpful to everyone out there. I hope and I know. I you know, I think we talked a little about what you went through. What does your current childcare look like? And then I'd also like to hear about how you grew up and how the, how it differs. Yeah, so so I I remarried a few years ago. So so as I said, so so the eldest is 17. I have a 14-year-old and a 10-year-old. So right now childcare for us isn't, you know, like a a huge issue anymore. We have a 17-year-old, so built-in uh, babysitter. Exactly. He can help out. The other two are pretty independent too. So so right now we're good. You know, we've we've come over that hump with childcare and and luckily for us, we're flexible, both of us. So we can be more present. And that's something that I, I also want for so many parents is to be able to be more present too with their kids and, and to be able to really spend that quality time. So so right now we're good in terms of, you know, the childcare situation. It's great. And then how did you grow up? So I grew up as an only child. So as I said in the book too, I, I'm an only child for both parents. And it's so funny My mom was a teacher. My dad was like a public servant. And I grew up pretty independent. Like I I literally tell this to people. Like I feel like I grew up as like a hippie child. You know, we... (laughs) Gen Xers, we grew up with like, you know, our parents, you know, they were, we came home, we fed ourselves. I don't know if I even had an extra key or how I got in the house, but we came home, we were there, we did everything. Like I remember coming home and- And where did you grow up? Where were you? 
So I grew up in Jamaica. So I was born in Jamaica. Oh, so amazing. I left Jamaica after university. And, and I remember, and, and even the culture there, it's pretty laid back to it, probably too much. But nobody, everybody's just like, yeah, when you go, when you go, you know, when you leave school, just go home and, you know, start the dinner. <laughs> and you're like 12 years old. But it's so funny how, you know, society evolves and we evolve and you, you look back and you're like, wow. Like so many things could have happened to me. Like I, I don't know how my parents were so carefree, but of course I feel like we did grow up, Jesse, with a certain amount of independence and it, it really also helped shape who we are. And, and, and now I, I do try not to, you know, with my kids, not to cuddle too much or, or, you know, I try to make them more independent because I remember how I grew up and I think that also made me more resilient. So there's something to be said of really giving our children the space they need to grow and the space they need to to make their mistakes and to figure out, you know, what to do in a situation and, and really just to make so so I, I look back fondly at, you know, on those times. Yeah, no, I think being independent is so important. I think about that a lot with my oldest who's seven now, you know, where can I let go? What can he start? Yeah, when can he start kind of cooking by himself? And, you know, he's starting to kind of like make some very easy microwavable breakfasts by himself and things like that. But I think they're like, where do I let go a little bit? And I think it's really important to, you know, help with this feeling of independence. And you're also female. I do feel like as a woman, being independent is is huge. I think that's really amazing that they gave you that independence. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The uh, Okay, so, you know, I wanted to talk a little about, so everyone should listen to your podcast. Everyone needs to read the book and just get there financial family situation in order. So holistic wealth. Now, what is your kind of like number one mom hack that you feel like everyone, you have older kids than I do. And what's your sort of number one mom hack, parenting hack at this age? You know what? I I think it's making the older kids really become more hands-on and helping the younger kids. So like right now, for instance, my 17-year-old is graduating 12th grade soon and he needs his volunteer hours. He needs things he needs to do. And since COVID, they've really expanded, right? The definition of what that can look like, which is good. So things in the home now qualify. And, you know, it not only helps with helping out with homework or, you know, doing extra things, but also having the older children become more mentors, which is another thing that I also emphasize in holistic wealth, the positive benefits of mentorship and reverse mentorship and mentoring forward. And I think, you know, for me, just having three kids, just seeing that operate within our little home is amazing to, to watch. And, and, and it's also a growth, you know, like a, a, a growth opportunity for them in mentoring in different ways. So, so that's, that's kind of like my biggest one, I think. That's, that is great. I like the mentoring idea. Well, this is how we end every episode. So it's our goodbye story. We love reading here and we love kids reading. So tell us what is your favorite childhood book? I know you mentioned, Are You My Mother? by P.D. Eastman is one of your favorite books for kids. Why do you love it so much? Yeah, I found it, you know what, I I picked it up one day when my son was pretty young and we carried it home for him and he got like hugely stuck on it. 
And I remember him saying, read, read it again, again, again. And I would read it to him over and over and over. And, you know, something dawned on me as I read it to him, you know, are you my mother? And that innocence of children and their willingness to, you know, it's, it's unbelievable, but that's struck a chord with me as a new mom. And it was just these memories of bonding through that book. So that was one that I read to, to I think, the first two of my kids pretty often. That's great. It's so, it's such a good book. I, I mean, it's one of those ones that I remember from growing up and then my kids love as well. And it is one of those just classic books. Are you my mother? And it's also... It's also, I always think about like length for children's books and it's like a perfect length also. <laughs> you don't want too long. You don't want too short. But parents, it's funny. I was telling someone that Berenstein Bears were my favorite books. They're like, but they're too long. I'm like, they're not too long. They're great stories. But uh, Keisha, thank you so, so much for being on our podcast today. You have an incredible story and you are doing so much for humanity and women and families beyond. So thank you for sharing and being so open and candid today. And we should get going because we have some monumental work to do. Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation, Jesse. I am looking forward to, to hearing more. Thank you so much for listening. Please write us a review if you liked us. Tell us what you think. Follow us on Instagram at monumental.podcast or at Jesse C. Draper and tell us who you want to hear from and how you think we can solve childcare. Also, please give us five stars.